0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Sixty minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Cleggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome
1: to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great.
1: Excellent, excellent. Good to have you here. Thank and you. We've brought in uh, maybe our favorite guest here on, oh. on Aging Matters.
2: He doesn't say that to anybody.
1: No, I don't. So I'm
2: feeling very special. <laughs> you're,
3: you're certainly
1: friend of the show status. We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio with the Alzheimer's Association Eastern North Carolina chapter. Lisa is the executive director. Lisa, thank you so much for being back here thank with us. Thank you, Jason.
2: It's wonderful to be back. Well, with you and I have I have to say, Jason is matching you with. Perl- purple today. Oh, he no, is purple pride. So okay, I'm loving I'm sorry. That. I missed the that's memo. Okay. A shade I, of pink. Geez, I'm like not good. feeling good. Purple in your heart. I know that. Uh, I'm lucky I was <laughs> dressed to be here today. <laughs> oh, I understand. He saw me running in the studio. That's okay. That's all right. Well, I am super glad that you're here with us today and we have so much to talk about mm-hmm. and not tons of time. But um, I guess first and foremost, you know, the thing that's on top of my mind is really talking about the collaborative effort that we have between Transitions Life Care, Transitions Guiding Lights, and the Alzheimer's Association. Just around the corner, our summit, our Caregivers Summit in Chapel Hill coming up on August 7th at the Friday Center. I am so excited, and so is my entire team. It's such a wonderful celebration of caregivers,
3: and this being the 10th year. I know. We just expect it to just explode. We want everyone to come out and register and be part of that Caregiver community where you can get the support and the education that you need. So we're thrilled to be uh, connected with transitions and you, Nicole, and your great team transitions, God and light. Um, It's, it's going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it.
2: You know, and I think one of the things that is so unique to this, to this, so to speak, market, you know, sometimes when I travel around the country and I talk about these caregiver summits that we put on, people are just amazed that there is such a thing, and number one, I mean, a lot of people try to do a little conference here and there, but that organizations that make compete on some levels for donor dollars or whatever it may be, are willing to come together for a greater cause to benefit the family caregiver. Because, you know, if you did a Venn diagram and you put all the organizations together that try to support what we're doing in our work, the intersecting point is really that family. And so to put everything else aside and really try to build something so beautiful for that family caregiver, I think is something that Maybe I took for granted in this community, but it's something we're truly blessed with. We are. We really are, because we all may have
3: slightly different Mm -hmm. missions, but at the core are the families, just like you said. And I think that that makes everything else just trivial and peripheral. We want to make sure that they get the support that they need.
2: Definitely. So, you know, one of the ways we do that is, you know, we work in partnership to put these summits on with the ALS Association, the American Cancer Society, the American Heart and Stroke Association, the MS Society. And all we all come together with the idea of pulling together speakers that will work across all different variations of chronic illness. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're sitting here in the room. The reason why we partner with the Alzheimer's Association is that I believe unless statistics have changed, one out of every two people over the age of 85 will have some sort of a dementia diagnosis. Right. So this is a huge mm-hmm. issue. So they may absolutely. also have COPD and diabetes and you know rheumatoid arthritis. Could but they be a have cancer survivor. Yeah, absolutely. But they also have dementia. Absolutely. And and sometimes they have more than one kind of dementia, which I think is a surprise to people that you can be blessed with more than one type. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and everyone here is Alzheimer's,
3: mm-hmm. and even though Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, there's vascular dementia. There's um, all uh, frontal temporal. There's so many different types of dementia. And that's why we're technically called the Alzheimer's disease, and related disorders as an organization. That's our official name because we even know and recognize as an association that there are so many different levels. There's mixed dementia. Um, There's so many different levels and types. And unfortunately, Alzheimer's is a very complex disease. So what may present itself a certain way in one person Mm -hmm. may affect a family or the person with the disease totally different. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have the diversity, I think, of our collaborators which I think you do an excellent job with pulling that together for the Caregivers Summit but I think also for our families Mm -hmm. because they're dealing with so much more than just that physical disease. They're dealing with behavioral issues, communication issues. So we provide a 24-hour helpline Mm -hmm. seven days a week all day, any day, holidays, so that families can get support from licensed clinicians from the Alzheimer's Association.
2: So, if somebody's listening right now and they say, "Oh, a twenty-four hour helpline," what is that number? Could you give that to us? Absolutely, it's one eight hundred two seven two
3: three nine zero zero. Call us day or lo- night; you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we have support groups all over the nation and North Carolina. Um, We have uh, early stage support groups Mm -hmm. that um, we partner with Duke Family Support Group for. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do a fabulous job um, with that. So there's so many different levels of community education which we offer often free of charge to organizations and to um,
2: all types
3: of um, companies that need to support their caregivers.
2: And I think that's one of the things, too, you know, when I step back and look at the responses of the family caregivers that attend these summits, um, it's the fact that when they walked in, they felt alone. And then when they walked out, they realized that there are so many people that are sharing the very same journey that they are. Absolutely. And that's unfortunately what brings you together.
3: I know having a personal connection to the disease, I didn't I wasn't aware fully. Mm-hmm. First time I heard amyloid plaque, I was like, what is that? I was on my <laughs> cell phone on my trying teeth. to look it up exactly. <laughs> I was like, what in the world is that? I'd never heard of that. And I think that what the caregiver summits do, and why I hope people will take advantage of this opportunity on August seventh, is that they allow you to have that level playing field where regardless of who you're caring for, mm-hmm. That's the commonality. We're all there to support each other and to provide free education, maybe have a couple of laughs through our Mm -hmm. pain. That's right. Um, But definitely to have you leaving that day on August 7th at three thirty feeling like you were overwhelmed with information and
2: support. Mm -hmm. Definitely feel like I have a community wrapping your arms around you. That's right. For sure. So for those interested, it's the caregiversummit.org. It's this August on the 7th at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. It's uh, $15 to attend, which includes a lunch Mm -hmm. and the entire day's education and resources. So we really hope you come on out and join us that day because it is something that um, I think you'll feel like it was worth your time, for sure. So, But when you stepped into the studio, you shared a staggering statistic with me that I think, well, and I've worked in this industry for a long time, I had no idea the Mm -hmm. amount of Medicare dollars that are going on a daily basis towards... Uh, uh, the impact of Alzheimer's disease. It, it's, it's, it's an
3: expensive disease. It's expe- It's actually the most expensive disease in America. More than cancer. More than cancer. It's the most expensive disease in America. And how expensive it, is it? <laughs> one in every five Medicare dollars is spent on someone with Alzheimer's.
2: Truly, one in every five. In every five. So twenty percent. Yes. 20% of all Medicare, dollars. all Medicare dollars
3: is spent on caring someone that's for Alzheimer's. Absolutely it's standard. staggering. So that that today, face, that's not 20 years no, from now. That is right now with wow. our most recent facts and figures that were released in March 2018. Wow. We took this data evidence based to Congress on, in June. I saw the pictures 17? you were running around Capitol yeah. Hill, oh, weren't yeah. you? yeah, <laughs> my feet hurt. I got my Fitbit steps in uh, okay. I bet you did. Uh, but Jan, uh, June 17th through 19th, that's why we were on Capitol Hill wow. turning it purple. Wow. And and that same look that you had mm-hmm. is the same look that we have when these are released. And that's why we put wow. together information. And when we visited, and you have to remember, there were thousands of advocates that were there visiting each and every congressional Um, member and Senate member. And we took that data. We took a piece of leave behind material with those statistics Mm. to them in the personal meetings, along with advocates who are living with Alzheimer's, people who have been impacted, caregivers to make that point that this is why you need to increase research funding.
1: We've got Lisa Roberts here in the studio. She is the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association Eastern North Carolina chapter, and we're talking all about Alzheimer's. If you missed our little a little bit of our conversation on the Caregivers Summits, I want to remind you that you can go online to Caregivers Summit. Org, caregiversummit.org. There you can register for the summit on Tuesday, August 7th. That is in Chapel Hill at the Friday Center. Again, caregiversummit.org. We're going to continue our conversation on Alzheimer's, just a fascinating and uh, really eye opening figure that Lisa just shared with us. We've got more of that just ahead. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680, WPTF.
0: This is Aging Matters. Care and Comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong.
1: You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you you can find more information about transitions life care at TransitionsLifeCare.com. Org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, as well as our guest this evening. Lisa Roberts, she's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association Eastern North Carolina Chapter. And Lisa was sharing some uh, eye-opening figures uh, just before the break here saying that one in every five Medicare dollars is spent on Alzheimer's. Nicole, that's Jeez. that's bananas, as the I kids did, say. That's
2: mm-hmm. More than bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, it is. that's just it is. absolutely amazing. It and is. so, um, I mean, it's just going to it's going to grow. It is. I mean, and that's the even more
3: frightening part, right? And, and, but here is the hope: we if we. We're all in this. We're in this to end it, and whether we want but, to be or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, because There's it's no in all of our it. best interest. Yeah. Because your greatest risk factor, as you know from the facts and figures, is age. Yeah. And we're living longer, so every single human on Earth, whether they use their brain or not, no, um, That's questionable. A, yes, it is. Um, a, but everyone has a vested interest in seeing uh, new treatments, seeing uh, early diagnosis. Um, basically fighting Alzheimer's is going to save lives Um, there's a three prong approach that we have been recommending as the Alzheimer's Association one is treatment Um, the second is the early diagnosis people want to say we've had people say I don't want to know okay here's the problem with that I'm not sure if I'd want to (laughs) know I I know well I will be 100% honest and tell you I'm not sure I would want to know but knowing how nosy I am I would like to be in the room and be able to participate in the conversation Mm -hmm. instead of not knowing I'm in the room Mm -hmm. and people are sitting and looking at me and talking about me. Yeah. So it's a big difference. So um, that that second part, that early diagnosis is critical. And then, Nicole, something that you've been on the forefront of is the palliative care aspect Mm. with transitions. Um, A huge, huge amount of savings um, can be. Uh, utilize because from a palliative care yes, perspective How, where are you um, that where we're pulling and and I will you can actually see these um, statistics and the data and what we took to Congress to fight for increased research. If you go to ALZ.org slash facts or if you go to ALZ.org slash forum and you'll see some of the leave behind kits where we really are trying to um, emphasize the expense of this disease and the toll it takes. But we talked about early diagnosis, but palliative care would save money because the average monthly per person health care cost for a senior with dementia at the end of life is huge. It's almost 4.8. And we're, this is scary um, where we're looking at um, millions there. But if they it can be reduced if they receive that cost can be reduced if they receive Palliative care.
2: Okay. Tremendously. So that's okay. First of all, we need to explain what palliative care is for yes. those listening that don't Please know. Do. And yeah. then the second thing I think we really need to hit on is the fact that receiving palliative care doesn't mean you're receiving a lower quality of care. Because people can start running and screaming and saying, oh, so this just means you're just going to let me sit in a corner and die. A- exactly. And that's not what it is. That's not what that's it is. Not what it is. Mm-hmm. So palliative care is a type of care where it's not hospice care. It's when a person has some sort of a chronic illness and they're starting to receive disease management mm-hmm. and some of the services that typically a hospice would provide like assistance with resources, mm-hmm. assistance with the actual pain related to a disease. Mm-hmm. It's really wrapping that the arms of a healthcare system around an individual yes. and looking at them as person-centered care. And that's a little great Incredible. little tag word that everybody likes to use, but only certain things are truly person-centered. Mm-hmm. So it's really looking at how do we Support the family How do we support The spiritual needs Of that individual How do we manage The medication And, and the, the actual Treatment that Individual is receiving um, How do we support all aspects of the level of care that that person needs because Alzheimer's disease is not an overnight disease. Correct. This goes on and Absolutely. on and on for years and, and sometimes decades exactly. decades. exactly, decades. I've seen it exactly. and it's exhausting. And then sometimes right. a caregiver goes from caring for one person for decades to another or another person gets added on in the middle of it all. And so palliative care is a great way to, um, While a person could still be receiving curative measures or, you know, all kinds of different interesting treatments or study drugs and still receive that that consultative care around that. Absolutely. And
3: you um, did an excellent job explaining that what people don't understand is that level of care would save dollars because the, the the legislation that we're putting in front of Congress is called It's actually, it's a short name, it's Pachetta.
4: But it stands
3: for Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act.
2: It sounds like it belongs on an Italian sub. It does.
3: It sounds delicious. It does. does. We want you to use it. It's financially delicious. There you go. There you go. Beneficial. But that's so that everything that you described can be done in an environment where people are Mm well-trained, are well-informed, and supportive, and we have a workforce that's going to support that. So palliative care is part of that three-pronged approach mm-hmm. that we brought to Congress and our Senate leaders this year to say, this is the most expensive disease in America, mm-hmm. what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You need to increase the funding, mm-hmm. and you need to increase the legislative support for these types of legislation. We need to affect lives with change. And the way we're gonna do that is to basically put in new legislation.
2: Well, and I can tell you, Lisa, you know, in some of my work where I support family caregivers, even through an online support group, there's about 400 and some my caregivers part of that and palliative care comes up regularly. Now, I'm telling yeah. you what 5 years ago, people would have been like, "Palliative what that is that? What the exactly. heck does that mean?" Exactly. And so I think people are becoming more aware and I think part of that is the baby boomers are A little bit more actively involved, you know. You said curious or nosy. Um, They want to really know what's going on and and what's what the best things are for their loved ones. They'll they'll be the first ones to Google something, absolutely. Um, And so I think you know we're going to have to learn also how to work with baby boomers as as actual advocates for themselves. You know, right now some of the generations we're working with, we have to figure out what family caregiver is going to be the advocate. I think. Coming a little ways out here, it's going to be that patient that's going to be
3: At, advocating for themselves. Absolutely, and with you know this disease being so prominent now on the forefront of everyone's minds, um, it it that has a great impact mm-hmm. because people are now being more informed. They're mm-hmm. seeking out education and tools and resources to help them uh, manage it because mm-hmm. it is very complex.
2: So those are some amazing facts and figures for mm-hmm. sure. Talk to me a little bit about encouraging treatments and research, because the reality of it is, mm-hmm. as it stands right now, it's more about symptom management than stopping the disease. It well, is. What, what are we seeing in the future? We are hopeful, and I'll say this: um, the
3: big push and what you hear in the news right now, when you hear the story from you know pharmaceutical companies like Lilly and Biogen and so forth. Here's why the big push in a new treatment is for disease modifying treatment. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. When you said it's more symptom management, Mm -hmm. we need uh, medication or pharmacological treatments and therapies that are actually going to break up what causes Alzheimer's. Disrupt. Exactly. (laughs) Break up the amyloid plaques, break up the tau and the tangles, the actual core biomarkers of the disease. So a lot of the clinical trials that are going on, and there are 128 um, that are going on right now, Um, Really, really encouraging. Uh, North Carolina itself is one of the study sites for the U.S. Pointer Study, Mm -hmm. which is going to be run out of Wake Forest Baptist University and both North Carolina and California of two of the first clinical sites awesome. where they're recruiting um, participants. So we're encouraged because a lot of the new research and a new science is based on lifestyle, mm-hmm. based on exercise, diet, all the things we know, put the cheeseburger down, mm-hmm. you know, eat more kale. <laughs> you know, all of the things that we actually know,
2: those are what um, uh, we're studying. So it's encouraging. So I just want you to have a a chance real quick just to shout out your Walk to End Alzheimer's. Yeah,
3: we're excited. Our Walk to End Alzheimer's is our nationwide signature event. It's the largest, if you will, gathering of people who are coming together to end Alzheimer's. So it's uh, in 600 communities nationwide, but here in North Carolina we have 21 walks, both on the western side of the state, and then we have six on the eastern side of the state. We'd love you to come out. You can check it out at alz.org slash walks
1: awesome alz.org slash walk lisa roberts executive director of the eastern north carolina chapter of the alzheimer's association thank you so much for joining us again thank this evening you. we appreciate it so
3: much jason and nicole for having me it's always a pleasure to be with you guys
1: and a pleasure to have you we'll be right back you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf
0: This is Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong.
1: News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You. A service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, who's with Transitions Guiding Lights and Transitions Life Care. Nicole, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, palliative care and hospice, and I think this is a very topical discussion that we're having this evening. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you, with the recent passing of uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush, you know, she really brought the whole idea of end of life care back to the forefront of our minds. And, you know, I've been seeing through our work that a lot of people really seem to be thinking about hospice and palliative care, but I think she really brought that out to just the general uh, mainstream media and and the, and the general lay community. And, and my understanding is that, you know, she decided that, of course, according to media, because we know everything media says is right, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but she decided that she did not want to seek curative measures, and she wanted to die peacefully and comfortably at home, and it appears that she did that. So um, I'm so glad to have here today with us a Dr. Patel, and she's the chief medical Officer of Transitions Life Care and Doctor Kendall Wall, and she is the director of inpatient palliative care team at Transitions Life Care to really bring some light to this topic and talk to us a little bit about perhaps what former First Lady Barbara Bush went through, um, kind of how families make these types of decisions, and and what is exactly palliative care and hospice, and that's a mouthful. We're not going to do all that at once, but <laughs> um, let's start off with you know the decision that former First Lady Barbara Bush made.
4: Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me. This is Dr. Kandelwal. You know, I think it was wonderful that the Bush family brought this to our attention in the national level. We heard this term palliative care. And in my field where I practice, I practice in the hospital setting. This was brought up the past couple days from families asking about what is palliative care, what does that mean, and is that hospice care? And so I'm kind of glad this all happened because we can really have an honest conversation about what this is medical field is Mm -hmm. it's a specialty palliative care compared to what hospice is and if is there a difference so palliative care I I really break it down very easy for families and patients I I really say this is the main three things that we do one we make sure we're doing well with any symptoms our patients are experiencing Um, in in this case with you know Barbara Bush she had heart failure that's Mm -hmm. what was known to all of us Um, and that and with that comes shortness of breath pain issues anxiety, different kind of symptoms. So we make sure we're doing well for our patients who have chronic illnesses, such as heart failure, and we're managing them their symptoms well, so they live better, they live more comfortably with their symptoms. The second main thing we do is communication. It can be very confusing in um, a lot of patients who have a lot of chronic illnesses. They're on multiple medications, mm-hmm. they see multiple specialists, <laughs> yes. and it becomes very confusing. And if someone just sat down with our patients and families and had a conversation about, one, what are your goals? Because you're seeing all these specialists and all these medications. And it's important to know what your personal goals are for yourself to live well with these diseases and that we communicate, all of us together, to support your goals. So what do you hold most sacred as a human being? Exactly. Mm-hmm. How do you define good quality of living with these chronic diseases as you go through your treatments for it? Mm-hmm. So we re- that's really what palliative care is. It's a specialty of multiple specialists. I work with social workers and nurses and nurse practitioners, and we're all trained together to manage this complex population of patients mm-hmm. as they go through their treatments for their medica- with their medications and seeking treatments for their diseases, whether it's cancer or heart failure, for example. And the third? And often we work on um, seeing about discharge plans if they're from the hospital and how to get support and resources in the home setting. Mm -hmm. So we manage symptoms, communicating well with goals of care, Mm -hmm. and getting resources and support at discharge from a hospital and in the home setting. What kind of resources in the community can we get to support the family and patients to live well at home? Um, Do they need rehab? We connect them to the resources. So we kind of we basically put all the puzzle pieces together for the patients and family to make it more of an easier way to navigate the system.
2: So doctors, I'm going to take off my uh, radio show host hat and throw on my social worker hat. And I've, I've found over the years that families just have a really difficult time with when is enough enough. And they just, you know, they look to the doctors to tell them there's nothing more that we can do sometimes. And I think sometimes there's some hesitation on the physician's part to say that. Because, right, aren't doctors supposed to fix everything?
5: Yeah, you know, that's... First First off, I want to kind of go back to that phrase of there's nothing more that we can do. Uh-huh. So we actually do a lot of, uh, from our perspective, education of our colleagues. Because uh-huh. that is something that they are reluctant to say. Uh-huh. But also that we we think could be phrased in a different Mm -hmm. way so we always think that you know there's no treatment that's going to cure your disease or there's no you know um, way that we can reverse what's happening Mm -hmm. but there's so much that we can do and when we think about with um, especially if somebody's getting to that point at end of life where they need hospice care the amount of things that are done is just phenomenal I mean the amount of support that Patients and families get in the home, their medications, their supplies, their um, spiritual, social, medical support. And so um, we want people to understand that, even, and that's one of the things that came out with um, the former First Lady that I think, at least on social media, a lot of the people in the palliative care field were a little bit um, having a debate about because <laughs> we, you know, one of the statements that was made in the media was um, that she has decided to um, decline any treatment Mm -hmm. and you know the all of us in this field felt like no she's not declining treatment Mm -hmm. she's shifting her treatment to a different focus. So we're
2: still doing we're just doing differently. Differently Mm -hmm.
5: and we're trying to focus now on things that are important right now Mm -hmm. knowing that we may not be able to reverse or cure whatever disease process is happening And so I think, um, but we, you know, we there is a a challenge in our medical system that there's a lot of things that we can do to people, Mm -hmm. but what we need to focus on is doing things for people Mm -hmm. in the right way. And so just because there is an experimental trial or there is this new invasive procedure that we can do, you have to put it in the context of that entire person, because for that person, it it really may not. meet their goals like Dr. Mm -hmm. well talked about. It might not meet their goals of what they're trying to achieve, it might not make them function better and it might cause more complications. So we have to always take it in the context of each individual. So one of the things that I've I've found is particularly
2: helpful for families who are perhaps not ready to jump over to the other side and stop curative measures, I have found that palliative care actually is a very good bridge. You know, you get to have s- some consultation from a physician or a nurse practitioner or a social worker to really have some of those deeper conversations to help that family come to terms with what they want and don't want and what their quality of life is wants, you know, what, what they want it to look like, what they hold sacred, basically. Is, is that really true? I mean, in palliative care, you can still be, you know, on your chemotherapy and having your radiation or just, you know, going through another
4: bypass or what have you, but you could still be receiving palliative services? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's one thing, even our colleagues, you know, Dr. Patel and I have physician colleagues that have this misconception that once families or patients decide they want palliative care involved in their care quote, they're giving up. Yes, I hear that all the time. Yes, and it's just, one, acknowledging that fear and really educating not even just families and patients but our colleagues that that's not what it is. It's actually to add more support as the patients and families deal with this serious illness. They're getting their treatments. We like to empower families and patients with what questions to ask at my next visit. So often if they're on certain cancer treatments or they're asking about trials, we sit down and, and give them some information and kind of empower them with what other questions to ask they may not even be aware to ask and or afraid to ask. So it's more also empowering and supporting the families and patients as they go through their treatments, as they follow up with their specialists, that we connect the dots for them, that we kind of given more information and how to ask certain questions
1: we've got dr Kendall wall and dr patel here in the studio we'll continue our conversation in just a bit thank you so much for joining us this evening we are talking all about palliative care and as i said we will uh, dive into that a bit more here on aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf
0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Cleggett here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong.
1: You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And you can always find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett We've got two special guests here in the studio. We've got Dr. Christine Candelwall and Dr. Laura Patel, both with uh, Transitions Life Care as well. And we're talking all about palliative care right now and uh nicole I've, i was so excited to uh get uh get some bills paid by going to commercial that i i, <laughs> I cut off dr patel before she could <laughs> chime in on, uh, on palliative care so uh we can we can dish it back to her
2: i think so you know and I, dr patel wanted to make a, a point you know it's not all of us just sitting here you know with philosophy saying, "Whoa, this just sounds like a great idea." There's actually proof that this is really working with folks with palliative care is actually a really great idea. So talk to us a little bit about that,
5: yeah. there's there's actually been a number of studies that look at, you know when is the right time to introduce palliative care and what are what is the impact of palliative care. And so um there's been studies showing that you know if you introduce palliative care alongside treatment with cancer, of you know advanced cancer earlier in the disease course, those patients actually have improved quality of life, they have less risk for depression, and um, they may actually live longer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ho- and then hopefully, you know, they're living longer with actually better quality of life through all of that. And that was kind of somewhat surprising results, I think, to the medical community at large, but not so surprising to those of us in the palliative care field because <laughs> yeah. we see it every day. When you yep. support people, you support families, you support them in their decisions, you treat their symptoms that they are um, able to have that better quality of life and sometimes they do, in fact, live longer. Um, And that's not necessarily, you know, the goal is really to support the patient and family in whatever they need. Um, but that's certainly a welcome side effect. Sure
2: thing, uh, for sure. Uh, so I know, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of stereotypes uh, historically about hospice and palliative care that this is all about cancer, 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 cancer. And the reality of it is, is palliative care could treat a whole host of different disease states. Am I correct?
4: Yep, that's correct. So this is how I kind of phrase it for families and patients. Even when you think about we live so long now in this country Thankfully, with all these chronic illnesses that are technically incurable, heart failure, lung diseases, mm-hmm. chronic kidney disease, dementia, those are just some examples, um, even cancer. A lot mm-hmm. of people are living years and years with cancers. So you have all these really complicated what I call chronic illnesses, meaning we don't necessarily have a cure necessarily. We manage them. But we manage mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize it till I kind of sit down and phrase it that way. And when they look back the years they've had this disease, they recognize, you're right, that it is a something I've always had to deal with and I've still did well with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I kind of phrase it. And dementia really throws people off. But again, if you think about how dementia works in the stages mm-hmm. and the natural decline years with it, People recognize, oh, it is considered a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. It is something that we need palliative care involved at the later stages of it. So it's just kind of, again, just a lot of education, teaching families and patients about that.
2: So I'm sure a lot of folks listening are thinking, you know, wow, you know, my loved one potentially has something that could really benefit from this type of a service. And so this is a consultative service. And it, I know that Transitions Life Care, you go, work both within hospitals and community.
5: Yeah, so it is um, a medical specialty. Mm -hmm. And so in the the inpatient setting, it's usually a consult. And a lot of times that's patients and families first introduction to palliative care. It's because they're in the middle of a crisis. They have an acute exacerbation of whatever illness they have. And they're asking for specialists to come in and help guide decision making and help manage some of these symptoms. And so that's a team that provides palliative care in the hospital and around the Triangle, pretty much all the hospitals have a dedicated palliative care team. So you can request it, um, your doctor might request it, um, but certainly if you're aware and you feel like you'd benefit from it, you can request that as well. And then um, many places also have clinics. So sometimes it's paired with your oncology clinic or with a heart failure clinic and there might be a palliative care um, physician or nurse practitioner Either so outpatient, you're outpatient. saying? Outpatient. Okay. So like you're going to see your oncologist. Maybe you're also making an appointment with your palliative care um, oh, okay. physician. And a lot of times it's coordinated in, mm-hmm. in centers. And then other programs like ours have uh, home-based palliative care where we're actually going into the homes and providing interdisciplinary support. So we're uh, medical support with nurse practitioners and physicians, social work. And nurses. So that sounds like it's pretty labor intensive
2: from a from a staffing <laughs> perspective. It as is well. very
5: labor intensive. And you know, at this point, Medicare um, and most insurance plans do pay for the physician and NP component of palliative care. Mm-hmm. So we bill it through part what's called Part B billing. Like any specialist, if you were to go see a cardiologist or um, a lung doctor, they would mm-hmm. bill it in that same way. Um, But there are some, there's some discussion going on at the national level of the need to develop an alternative way to pay for palliative care, recognizing that people need um, more than just a physician or nurse practitioner. They need that social work, nurse, um, Mm -hmm. spiritual care support that is really inherent in palliative care. So similar to, you know, when we talk on on
2: air about, you know, not every assisted living is just like every other assisted living. When you're looking at providing hospice or palliative care services, there is sort of a baseline if you're going to provide those services of what everybody needs to meet as a minimum. Mm -hmm. But then other organizations decide to sort of maybe specialize in some areas or add additional services. So at Transitions Life Care, what are some of the add-ons, so to speak, that you cover besides
5: the consultative service? Yeah. So for palliative care, we, um, we provide pretty comprehensive care in the home. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing active pilots with some different um, payers in our community, so different mm-hmm. insurance companies, where patients are allowed to get additional support in the home with nurses and social, works coming, social workers coming to visit. Um, and we have a specialized heart failure program. We're um, building some dementia support. Um, so really trying to target, you know, what are some of the areas that people need different types of support and matching the need with the right type of support. So it's not a one size fits all for everyone. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Nothing, nothing in life really seems to be mm-hmm.
5: so. And as far
2: as um, I know that and we're going to get into hospice in a little bit, a little bit of time here. But as far as palliative care goes, I mean, you can receive that for years, really. Right. I and mean, there's no time limit on. How many times, you know, or how many months you can be on the Right, that's,
4: that's correct, Nicole. Um, so, for example, I practice in the hospital setting. And so often, as Dr. Patel said, we'll be the first introduction that families and patients meet the team, our team because they've gone through a crisis, say, with their heart failure or their COPD, their lung disease. We kind of establish a goals. We work this out with the families. Um, and then when they get discharged... Depending on where they live, we could our team can see them at home. After a while, after even some weeks, and things kind of stabilize, and things are better, and months can go by, we can kind of back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't need a, such intensive needs at the home, and mm-hmm. um, they're they're doing well. Um, so we can even the team can back off a little bit. If they get rehospitalized, we can engage again and get more involved again during a crisis. So it is kind of um, just as the diseases go up and down with their mm-hmm. crises, and they stabilize. That's how part of care also could follow along with a disease course.
2: So we all know, you know, one of the issues with quality of care for folks is that the healthcare system is so fragmented, right? I mean, we keep talking about you have a specialist for your heart, you have a specialist for your skin, you have a specialist for your eyes, you have a specialist for your kidneys. I mean, I, you must be able to have a specialist for your hair, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, there's got my, your toenails, perhaps. I think there actually yeah. there is There is. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm just kind of wondering, you know what I hope and wish, and I'm not sure if this is even true. I mean, if a palliative care physician or nurse practitioner gets involved, it would be kind of neat if this was a chronic illness that somebody kind of looks at the situation and becomes the air traffic controller and tries to
4: work with all the different specialists. Does does that exist or is that just me with a pipe dream? <laughs> I think that's the whole idea with the palliative care team. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to know their same provider and really, really engage in the community primary care physicians. That's really how we try to, do, again, not trying to take over care, it's so important. That primary care provider in the community is such an important role in the mm-hmm. patient and their family's lives. And so, yes, there's def- certainly um, the palliative care team members communicating often and regularly uh, to the primary care physician and specialists as well. Mm-hmm. So, again, it, it is kind of a, I like that term, the traffic <laughs> controller, again, trying to navigate all that for the families and patient's behalf, yes. That's a good analogy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs>
1: Fortunately, we're running out of time here, but uh, I want to thank Dr. Christine Candelwell and Dr. Laura Patel for joining us this evening. Thank you both for taking some time this evening to to chat with us. I thought this was very informative.
4: Thank you so much.
5: Thanks for having us.
1: Well, we are just about out of time, but before we headed out today, I wanted to make sure Nicole that we we did mention this, and that is that uh, you know Cooper Linton has been uh, a. A fixture here on Aging Matters for a long time, but he's uh, he's got an amazing opportunity and he's taken uh, a, another position with uh, a, a different company here in the uh, in the Triangle. And uh, it's it's sad to see him go, but we're super excited for him. And he's got uh, an exciting opportunity ahead of him.
2: Yeah, you know he sure does, and you know he has been an absolute gift to us in this show. I think he really brought a great perspective uh, to the work that we were trying to do here with Aging Matters. But yes, we are super sad to see him go but also very excited about the opportunity that he has in front of him and um, I'm sure you know those of you listening will find him and see him out and about um, he's still going to be very public facing and um, looking forward to working with him on other levels for sure
1: well I'm going to have to increase the seersucker content to make up for his departure but you're not so. doing too
2: bad with that purple tie yeah, and I'm- that sort of checkered shirt you have the quote oh, that Cooper-esque look <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's something you have to work towards you can't just jump into it but uh, we're going to do our best to uh to try and aspire to that cooper level and uh, as i said we are, we are going to miss him but we will continue to uh, uh continue with the show with aging matters and of course uh provide the best content that we can and uh we're looking forward to that and you and i nicole will will power through we'll we're get gonna through
2: make it. it. it's not gonna be the same that's but, right. but we're gonna do it
1: that's absolutely correct and we we thank our listeners so much for uh, for continuing to listen to us and to support us. And uh, without them that you know this show doesn't happen. So we, we certainly appreciate that. Uh wanna remind everyone, Caregiversummit.org to find more information about the August seventh Caregivers Summit in Chapel Hill at the Friday Center. You can register there. Thank you so much for listening. We're out of time for today. Please join us again next Saturday night at seven for Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio six eighty WPTF have a great night.
0: You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.